All right, good morning, church. My name is Jay Lacani. This morning we're going to be walking through um, Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 18. If you've grown up in the church, this is a passage of Scripture that is probably very familiar to you. Uh, it's entitled, The Armor of God. And the title of my message this morning to you guys is Church, We Are at War. Okay. This month we've been praying for the, the country of Ukraine uh, because one year ago on February 24th, 2022, the country of Russia invaded Ukraine. And since that time, 42,000 people have been killed. 14 million people have been displaced from their homes. But during this time, you have seen a president named Volodymyr Zelensky. And if you have a television or you read the news at all, you're familiar with this man. You've seen his face. He was an actor, actually, before he became the president of Ukraine. He, he played the president on TV. Uh, he, I'm sure he had no idea what he was getting into when he became the president of this country before this war broke out. But I think about this guy. Because every day for the last year, can you imagine being the president of Ukraine? Like every day he wakes up knowing that the safety of his country is on the line. He knows that they can't really miss a beat. Otherwise, the war could be lost. He knows that every time he steps out of his house or his wife or his daughter, that his life could be at risk. I mean, he's not taken a vacation, I'm sure, this last year. He had a chance to leave the country, but he, he didn't. He stayed there. All because he knows that he is at war, that his country is at war. <clears throat> well, church, this morning, I want us to think about that stark reality that you and I are in a war as well, that we are in a battle each day for our families, for our church. So my passage this morning is Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. But before I begin, uh, let me just start with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just help me to speak the words that you would have me to say, nothing more and nothing less. Lord, as we consider and study this passage together, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of our hearts, Lord, and help us to understand what you'd have us to learn this morning. I pray it's in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Start with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
So this passage is about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not something that really we talk a lot about. Maybe we don't even think a lot about it in our country. And for some of us, the concept of combat against forces of darkness even sounds like fiction. Um, And so I want to put out a few disclaimers before I begin uh, this talk. First one is, I don't believe that the devil is behind every problem that we face. For example, uh, the guy that took your parking spot this morning was not the devil, (laughs) nor was he or she possessed by the devil, okay? I'm I'm not giving the devil all the responsibility for every bad thing that happens to us. Second, the devil himself is not omnipresent, okay? The Bible never teaches that the devil has the gift of being everywhere in all places. So I don't believe that he is behind every door or every bush. So when I speak about the enemy, I'm actually speaking about the devil himself, but all the many forces of evil that operate in our world, demons, um, even our own nature has been tainted by sin because of the fall, Um, All of those things play into this, what I'll collectively refer to as the enemy. And third, for the Christian, the war that I'm going to speak to you about this morning has already been won, okay? You wear the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, therefore you are a victor already. Now there are battles along the way that you and I are going to face, and we could lose battles. The devil could set us aside from being effective put us on the sidelines, could hurt us and attack us. But the war has already been won. Okay, having said those things, spiritual warfare is very real. And if we don't come prepared for the battle, we are definitely going to be attacked. You know, this morning I I looked at a a picture of of the devil on uh, the Internet, okay, and our society kind of, we have this playful idea of the devil as this red guy with a pitchfork and a goatee and a, and a tail. And, um, you know, there's nothing farther from the truth than the devil being some kind of cute cartoon character. He is real and wants to destroy us, wants to attack us and destroy your families and your lives. <clears throat> So as we study this passage, let's get a little bit of context. Last week, uh, Adam was talking about Timothy. He was the leader of the church of Ephesus. This is the letter to the Ephesians that we find this in. Paul was actually in house arrest during this time. So the whole idea of the armor that he saw was the Roman soldier's armor. So when we talk about the belt and the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet, the shoes, Paul was accustomed to this daily. In fact, all of the people at that time were probably seeing a lot of Roman soldiers around. They were ubiquitous in the society. So what he talked about, the imagery he uses came very easily to the people that he's writing to. Not so much to us because we don't see folks walk around like this. But So I'm going to do my best to kind of break it down, what this looked like um, and, and what every piece meant. So let's start at verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. From the very beginning, from the very first verse, Paul is telling us, listen, the ability to fight in this war, the strength to fight spiritual forces of evil doesn't come from us, okay? You and I, we are not strong enough. We are not smart enough. We are not able enough in our own strength to fight him. The strength comes from the Lord. Verse 11, 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't need one or two pieces of the armor of God. We need every single piece. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. We've got to be battle ready if we're going to fight against the schemes of the devil. Now, if someone is scheming against you, that's pretty serious business, right? They have, they have thought up a plan. They have devised a plan. It's not just an accidental misfortune. The enemy that we're talking about this morning is scheming against us to destroy us. So we need to put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against his schemes. Peter in 1 Peter 5.8 alludes to our enemy when he says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Peter describes the devil as a lion seeking to destroy, to destroy us. When Kate and I lived in Africa, we went on safari. I got to go on safari once. Um, and during the safari, our car, the big van we were in, got a flat tire. There is no worse place to be in a safari than outside of your vehicle. We were in the middle of this jungle, and we had a flat tire that needed to be changed. So we got out of the car, but just... I was very, very anxious about being out of the car, you know, looking around, because the reason we're on safari is to see wild beasts, you know? And so I would like the wild beasts for this period of time to keep their distance so we can get this tire fixed. And thankfully, we didn't run into any lions uh, during that period of time. But just know we're out there, and the, the enemy is around seeking to devour us, seeking to destroy us. That's the way he's described in Scripture. So the first thing we've got to understand is that we are in this war. Now, some of us thinking about a war, we're ready. Like we want to be like Braveheart and it rouses us ready to fight. We're going to take on the enemy. But remember that strength to fight, it doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And for some of us, the idea of being in a war may again sound kind of like a little bit foolish. I mean, our life in, in the States is pretty peaceful, um, we are free to live, to work, to go about as we wish. And so it may sound a little bit unrealistic, but as we study this passage, I really want to just impress upon us that first truth. You are in a war for your home, for your church, for your families. <clears throat> for the early church, literally, they were being attacked and being physically persecuted. But I think in our day, our enemy works largely through distraction. Okay, we're distracted from using our time best because the idols of laziness and procrastination are the easier ways to go. We're distracted from taking time to pray because the idols of social media or a little more sleep are the easier paths for us. We're distracted from taking on the mantle of leadership in our homes and to disciple our kids because the idols of work achievement and success seem like the easier paths to go. We live in a world of distraction. And when we're distracted from the battle that's going on around us, we're just easy targets for the enemy. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So know that the enemy's, one of his major tactics in your life and my life is simply to distract us 
and to help, you know, to make us think that we're not actually in a war. <clears throat> Verse 12. For we wrestle not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, the second thing I want us to talk about this morning, we are in a war against an enemy and his workers, not with each other. Paul clearly told the church, we're not in a war with flesh and blood. We're not in a war with each other. Okay, And, and the whole idea of the, the cosmic powers, if that intimidates you or scares you, John's words in 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But I think the problem is not so much our fear of these satanic forces or demonic forces. It's instead that, instead that we just tend to fight the wrong enemy oftentimes. <clears throat> Tonight's the Super Bowl. Who of you guys rooting for the Eagles tonight? Anybody? All right, how about the Chiefs fans out there? And who's just watching to watch for the commercials and uh, a lot of people? Okay. <clears throat> well, Tonight, just consider this scenario, okay? A few hours before the game, the Eagles are preparing. Um, Jalen Hurts is throwing some passes in practice, but the wide receiver just keeps dropping every pass. The running back gets the ball every time in practice and just fumbles every, every time. The coach is angry because the, defensive, uh, the defense are missing tackles, and, and they start to have some, some turmoil with each other. All of a sudden, the stress of this big game has gotten to them. They go back to their locker room, and, and they start fighting with each other. They even start calling players on other teams and criticizing their own team. And man, you know, our quarterback is awful. Maybe they call the Chiefs. You know, we're just, we're just so bad. We're going to lose tonight. They get angry. They threaten to quit. I'm just done with this game. We're done with all of you all. And so they just decide to go back to their locker room. And, and, and just even go back to the hotel and go back and argue some more. And when you turn on the TV tonight, the Chiefs are out there ready to play, but the Eagles didn't even show up. Now, that wouldn't happen, right? There's so much money in this game that people would go find them and bring them to, from their hotels. No, nobody's going to let that happen, okay? But, you know, that's the kind of tactic that the enemy likes to use within the church. Somebody in this church may have hurt you at some point. Maybe, maybe you're angry with someone right now. Maybe you're angry with me. I don't even know. I'm sorry. But, but the thing is, the devil likes to make us fight within or even outside in, in the greater the church of Christ at large. So we, we tend to get in the, the wrong battles and think we're fighting against flesh and blood instead of praying for and helping one another grow. We tend to start fighting and, and think the enemy is within. <clears throat> the enemy wants us to think that way. He wants us to think that the politician you despise is the enemy, or the political party you despise is the enemy. He wants you to think that your critical and demanding boss at work is the enemy, and that we ought to direct our frustration and anger to that person instead of praying for them. He wants to engage us in a war with our culture that'll sap us of our energy to fight the true enemy. Listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
Our war is with the devil and his workers. And until we realize that, we are handicapped in this fight, assuming we even show up. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Again, Paul says every piece matters. Verse 14, let's get into this armor and see what it is that we need to be putting on each day. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the first two pieces of armor are the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And from the context of the verses, Paul assumes that actually these are already, we've already got these on. He says, having put on those things. Now, the belt of truth. The belt was the first thing that the Roman soldier would have put on when he was suiting up for the day. The armor that Paul is referring to weighed about 70 pounds. It was pretty heavy, and most of it was in this breastplate of righteousness. But the belt is what held that up. There is no stability for us without truth without that belt of truth. We live in a day where people want to decide their own definition of truth, where, where people want to think that truth is relative. Remember the book of Judges, how often it's described that the people did what was right in their own eyes. Well, we live in a day like that, where we want to try to redefine truth for ourselves. And when a society allows this idea of truth to slip into its teaching. We forfeit the fight. There's no stability. We wonder why there's no stability in society. Well, we're not wearing the belt of truth. Our entire defense is shattered. You and I don't establish what truth is. We either choose to submit to the objective truth that we receive in the word or allow ourselves to be tossed about by the changing winds of our day. The belt of truth is our first defense. The next piece of armor that he describes is the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate was this large, heavy piece that covered the heart. And I'm going to kind of group this together with, in verse 17, it talks about the helmet of salvation. So I want you to think about that. If you're, if you're trying to attack someone, where do you deliver a fatal wound? In the head or the heart? Okay, some person can't live without those. Someone can get hit in the arm or the leg, but those aren't fatal wounds. So the, the helmet of salvation covers our head, covers our mind, our brain, and the breastplate of righteousness, it covers our heart. So for a Christian, there is no such thing as a fatal wound. The enemy cannot destroy you. He can hurt your life. He can attack you. He can bruise you. He can, again, make you feel ineffective in your work. But he cannot destroy us. No circumstance can destroy you. No tragedy, no temptation, no illness can be a fatal wound for us because our head and our hearts are protected. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. When Christ is your Savior... His righteousness is your righteousness. You are forgiven, and the enemy cannot strike your heart. And additionally, we wear the helmet of salvation. The mind which Satan would seek to destroy, to control, is protected by that helmet. 
So again, he can introduce attacks that can make our lives hard, painful, but he cannot deliver a fatal wound to you, Christian. And he knows that. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Believe it or not, the shoes were very, very important to the armor of God. The shoes were so critical. In verse 13, it says we are to stand firm. But without these shoes, there was no ability for us to stand firm. These weren't just regular old shoes that they were wearing. These shoes had nails that came. They were more like cleats, but they were like super cleats. They had nails that came out of the soles of their, of their shoes, and it caused them to plant into the ground. They really weren't able to move with those shoes on very well. And that's because they were supposed to stand firm. The enemy wasn't going to be able to push them around when they had their shoes on. The shoes represent an unyielding and unbending peace. We are to stand firmly planted and calm. Peace is the ability to remain calm and confident in the face of the storm. It's like when Jesus stilled the waters and he was sleeping on the boat in the middle of the storm, and he just stilled the waters. He demonstrated what peace looked like. Anyone can be calm when it's sunny outside and breeze, but true peace is demonstrated in the storm when we're able to stand firm when the storm would like to blow us down. So let me ask you, what is your, what is my natural response when we face storms? Do they blow us over because our natural response is to worry and to fear and anxiety? Or are we wearing our shoes of peace that cause us to be firmly planted in the ground? If our natural response is fear and anxiety, then we need to get our shoes on. All right, verse 16. We're suited up. We've got the belt. We've got the helmet. I already talked about it. It's coming up. We've got the breastplate of righteousness and our shoes on. And this is, this is my favorite. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, not some of the flaming darts of the evil one, all of the flaming darts of the evil one. Not only does the enemy know that he can't deliver a fatal wound to our head and our heart, not only does he know that our armor is held up by commitment to truth, not only does he know that when we've got our shoes on, we are not able to be moved or pushed around. The truth is, he knows he can't even deliver a single one of his flaming darts when we have our shield of faith up. The shield of faith is kind of like a windshield. Imagine trying to drive your car without a windshield. Every bug or every rock or anything that hits your windshield would strike you in the face. We need our windshield. We need our shield of faith. But it takes, for us, this is one that Paul doesn't assume is already on. It's something that takes a little bit of effort. We have to put up our shield of faith. The Roman shield was not this little, I've got, Micah has his Captain America shield. You've seen it before. It's this circular, this little, patriotic thing there's red white and blue and it's really nice but that wasn't the kind of shield of faith that they they had a body shield it went all the way down and almost covered their feet 
Um, that's the kind of shield that could block all the flaming darts of the, of the enemy. And, a lot of, and many times it may have been soaked with, with water, too, to extinguish the flaming darts that would come at them. It was a conscious decision to lift it up in defense. <clears throat> See, the enemy has many darts in his arsenal, and he's a very good archer. He knows where to hit you. He knows your weakness. He'll take aim at you in different places than he'll take aim at me. Um, Sonali and Micah uh, have been working on, they got a, Sonali got a bow and arrow for, for Christmas. And so uh, my father-in-law has a, a target. And so they practice, they take aim. And they're working on it, and, and they're trying to hit that target. Let me tell you something. Our enemy, he has really good aim. And he can hit the targets in our life. That's why we've got to put that shield of faith up. He uses a lot of different tactics. Fear is a common tactic that he uses. Fear of the future. Fear of what we don't know may happen. Fear of things that never actually do happen, right? A lot of times the things that we worry about, they never even happen. But that's one of the darts that he shoots at us and often strikes us with because we're not prepared with our shield of faith. Doubt. Doubting the word of God. But beyond that, doubting the very character and the heart of God. He strikes us with that flaming dart if we're not prepared. Shame. He wishes us to remind us of our past and to tell us that because of who we once were, that we'll never be able to be different. It's a very common dart that he throws at us. And, and the list could go on and on. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe already this morning you've experienced some of these flaming darts. This week, when I was thinking about this, this verse really just stuck to me. And, and I think there were times, too, when I would put up my hand because I would, I would just think, man, I'm not prepared to be able to speak to the church on this subject. I'm not prepared to be able to do this. It was, you know, we, these darts of fear that come at us. But we can take up the shield of faith and say, no, I trust that God is going to help me. I trust that he has given me this chance to teach his word. He's going to be there for me. So I encourage you, put up that defense. He will give us strength to stand against the lies of the enemy. In verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, which we already talked about, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. <clears throat> the sword of the Spirit is... The sword, the, the scripture, the word of God is described in Hebrews 4 as living and active. We don't, we don't read a dead book. Okay? We read a book that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is powerful, and it is a weapon it is the first weapon that we have in our armor. When I read Jesus' response to the temptation of the devil in Matthew 4, it's a very familiar story. Three times Satan came to Jesus after he had fasted and he was tired. And three times he tempted him. What did Jesus do every time? He quoted scripture. Have you ever read that and thought Jesus was going on the offense? against the enemy. He took the word of God and attacked back. And that's what you and I can do 
because the enemy knows that he is defeated and we have a powerful weapon in our hands. When I was a kid, I liked, I liked um, to professional boxing. And there was um, a very famous boxer at that time named George Foreman. You guys probably know George Foreman more for his cooking supplies, his grill, than for him as a boxer. But believe it or not, George Foreman was an incredible boxer even well before I was born. And his most famous fight was before I was born in 1974. It was called the Rumble in the Jungle. Have you guys heard of this fight? Okay, way before you guys were born. Read about it. So it was in Africa. It was in the, a country uh, we, we called the Congo now. Back then it was Zaire. And George Foreman was in the prime of his boxing career. He was like 40 and 0, undefeated. This brute strength that he had and possessed. And he was fighting against Muhammad Ali, who was out of his prime, who had lost a couple times to these guys that Foreman had just crushed. And in that fight, Muhammad Ali employed a tactic called rope-a-dope, okay? The rope-a-dope was, was a product, I mean, it was, it was brilliant. Muhammad Ali was not able to physically match Foreman, but he was so smart. And so what he did for most of the fight is he got up against the ropes and he defended himself. And he took these blows that were really non-injurious blows that he just absorbed for many, many, many rounds. And George Foreman, by the eighth or ninth round, was so tired of punching, he was exhausted that Ali came in and just knocked him out. And that's the way I want you to think about this verse, okay? Our enemy knows that he can attack us a long time. But you and I are able to put up that shield of faith and to put up our defense, and the time will come when we can pull out that sword and go on the offense. The time's going to come when he's going to turn your mess into your message, and you're going to be able to go on the offense with that sword. First Peter 5, 8, we, we read that first verse. But I want you to look at verse 9 and 10. Resist him, firm in your faith. Again, the faith is the victory, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. All right, last verse. Verse 18, our second weapon. The one that actually undergirds everything else. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So how do you fight and pray at the same time? Well, prayer, we fight by praying. Okay, prayer is like having a walkie-talkie with our commander for the entire battle, 
when we need something, when we're low on supply, when we need some additional reinforcement, we've got it right there. We come to our commander through prayer and we talk to him. We are to keep alert and persevere in praying. But when we put down the walkie-talkie and stop communicating with our commander, we're again at risk for attack. And we're to pray for one another. When we undercut our brothers and sisters with criticism, bitterness, and hatred, again, we are fighting the wrong battle. We need to call out for help when we're in trouble. We need to ask our commander, please help me. Send someone else, too, to fight the battle with me. I'm feeling weak. I need my brothers and sisters with me to fight together against the enemy. Lastly, I would say, behind every piece of armor that we talked about, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word and prayer, we see a picture of our ultimate defense and offense, the gospel. The gospel is in every single piece of armor. The gospel is the simple truth that despite our sinfulness, our proclivity to wander away, we have been rescued by Jesus when he died in our place and rose from the dead. He is our truth. He is our righteousness. He is our peace and our salvation. He is the one in whom we place our faith as we use the word of God and push into the darkness. So remember, whether you like it or not, you're in a war today. Not with each other. Not with some other Christian out there. Not with some other non-Christian out there. It's a war against an unseen but very real enemy. And we have got to get our armor on. Church, we have to get our armor on. Every single one of us. So tonight, it could be a really good game. Could be a really close game. Could come down to the last few minutes. And imagine that with a few seconds to go, and the Chiefs are up by a point. The Eagles are right there in field goal position, ready to kick a game-winning field goal. And the coach calls for the kicker. But unfortunately, he doesn't come to the field. He's back on the bench playing Candy Crush. (laughs) Or he's in an argument with the other kicker about who's going to be the one to actually get to kick the game-winning field goal. Or worst of all, he forgot to put his uniform on. He forgot to put his cleats on. And before you know it, time runs out in the game. Don't be that kicker tonight, okay? Get your, get your armor on. Let's wake up and get suited for the battle that you face, that I face, that we face together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, as we engage in this battle against a very real and unseen enemy, I pray that today we would leave this place and put our armor on. Lord, we need you. We need each other. Would you strengthen our church? Would you strengthen our homes? Would you strengthen each person in this place, Lord, as we need you? and We're desperate for your help. And Lord, we commit this day to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.